Sambanani, good evening, Dumalang, and welcome to episode 161 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamandongwa Kumalo. It's the Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast. And as we always do, we're going to be talking about something that's going to benefit especially uh, you know, people who are already property investors or those who are aspiring to be property investors. But before we get to that, welcome to all of our new viewers, whether you're watching us on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, or on Facebook, we certainly do welcome you. And of course, if you're uh, not following us on our social media platforms, on our other platforms that you're not watching us on, then we certainly do urge you to go onto our respective pages and make sure that you click like or you follow us. And if you'd like to follow me, I'm on Twitter, I'm at Zamandungwa underscore K. Now to get started with this evening's conversation, it is one of those that excites me quite a lot because we're talking about, we're talking about choosing the perfect investment property with England and Focus. And I'm joined this evening by the CEO of uh, Southern Africa at England Focus, Southern Africa, uh, Craig Hutchinson. Craig, good evening and thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, uh, Zaman. Thank you. Thank you for having me back on the show and good evening to your viewers. It's only a pleasure, Craig. So, you know, Craig, I think when, I, when we talk about, you know, choosing the perfect uh, investment property. This is probably one of those topics that can easily get a lot of people very excited. Uh, I get asked that question quite a lot. And sometimes I think people think the answer is a black and white answer saying, look, if it's below, for example, X amount, then it's necessarily a good investment. But as we're certainly about to unpack for our viewers at home, there are different factors that play into uh, you know, what makes a, a, a property a good investment property. It isn't just about the purchase price that you're going to be paying or even the amount of you know, rental you may be able to attract in that particular um, area. But it really is a culmination of different factors that I think so many of us sometimes at home are probably not as aware of. So when we then, you know, sort of define... Um, Craig, if we were to even define what the what an ideal investment property is, how would you go about uh, defining that? Yeah, no, as you say, it's very difficult because there's a lot of factors that you take into account, and uh, there's different products available. You know, from a certain price range to higher price ranges. Um, so, you know, the, your ideal property is a property that you invest in that provides the the highest return, um, and you know, and that must be a highest return on a sustainable basis as well as um, gaining capital value over an extended period of time. Because I think what everyone must bear in mind is when you invest in property, it's not a short-term investment. Your minimum investment outlook that you should have is five years. Preferably, you should be looking at 10 years and plus. But then you can have a look at the, uh, uh, the investment properties that you're looking at flipping, for example. There you would have a look at where you can renovate at the best possible uh, value from a renovation perspective at the lowest cost. Um, but you must take into account making sure that you're not overcapitalizing in the, in the area. So there's various investment categories um, from a property perspective. But if you're looking at uh, long-term investment to hold, always look at a 10-year investment. That's the, uh, the best time frame for a property mm -hmm. investment. Mm. And, you know, Craig, I think that event horizon is actually can be so easily overwhelming. Uh, I mean, if I think about 10 years, I don't know how many people even do a 10 year projection on anything, right, especially outside of, uh, let's say something you have to do at work, uh, because perhaps the nature of the work that you do requires that you do 
um, those kinds of reflections. But more often than not, not a lot of us take a 10 year view on anything really. So sometimes thinking of an investment or of a particular area, or certainly at, when you're looking at a particular property and look at it from a 10 year perspective, does tend to become quite overwhelming um, to the point where you don't quite know where to begin. Um, and so perhaps we should look yeah. at some of the, the factors, Craig, that determine a good investment property. Yeah. Uh, because as we're saying, we want to be able to look ahead, but what are some of those factors um, that are important or that play a role in determining a good investment property? Yeah. Well, Zaba, don't forget, I think, uh, take it back to your uh, pension funds. When you're investing in a pension fund, you're investing even longer than 10 years. Um, I so think, in, in our defense, we don't, we're not the ones who are directly investing. I mean, the, the money's taken every month. There's somebody sitting somewhere doing something with that money. You know you'll have to deal with it eventually, and you're going to get taxed on it, which is always just so heart-wrenching when you think about it. So it's one of those things don't really actively think about. It's like it goes off every month. I don't think about it. I'm not as active in thinking about it. But the moment you have to physically buy something, right, and then you know that you must maintain it, that's a different ballgame altogether. You can't just, you know, buy it and forget about it or not pay the bills relating to it at all. Yeah, but it's very, very important to have it as part of your investment portfolio and it's something really to consider. So the factors to, to look into from a property perspective, you must know your area very well. Um, so you must know your suburb uh, pricing trends. Um, from a factors perspective, you must have a look at the, the, the property itself. Uh, you must have a look at the finishes, uh, the durability, as well as the maintenance of those um, finishes. Especially if you've got a tenant in place, uh, you want low maintenance uh, property for the tenants. Um, you also need to look at the security in the area. That's also very important over a, over a long-term period. Um, and when buying a, in a complex, for example, you want to have a look at the ratio of owner-occupiers versus tenanted. Because uh, the, the higher the ratio of owner-occupiers, the better. Because uh, the less competition that you have um, for, for renting at the end of the day. Um, when you're looking at complexes, home associations and body corporates, have a look at the financial uh, soundness of the body corporate and the homeowners um, association. Um, if you're looking at corporate rentals, for example, that's another category of investment uh, criteria. Um, you need to know what the security requirements are for the, for the corporates, uh, for the tenants that you will be placing. So, you know, there's, there's a tenant for every product um, out there, but you need to decide where you want to specialize in and don't try to diversify too much uh, geographically as well as tenant mix and stick to what you know is going to, what you know is going to work uh, for you as an investor. You know, Craig, you actually mentioned something that uh, oftentimes a, a reason for why you should look at the owner versus tenant mix in a complex. Um, and this is something that, you know, other guests have emphasized. The reasoning behind it, though, that you've mentioned this evening is one that um, I haven't heard somebody bring up. And that's you're going to have less competition in the complex or the estate because the majority of people who live there are essentially owners. Oftentimes, you know, the, the reason that gets cited for looking at that and getting a sense if you're happy with the ratio is if, if in the event where there are more owners, for example, than there are tenants, the place typically gets to be 
uh, better looked after because of the nature of how you know owners tend to be with their homes. Uh, but that reason, actually, nobody has has said that out. Uh, before and you're you're correct. You know you will have less competition, uh, and so you won't be driven to drive down your own prices because literally the person in the following block has their unit that's identical to yours for 500 rand less, uh, which is something that I think sometimes we don't quite look at. That never mind you know being an area specialist, but you if you're going to go for sectional titles, you also want to have a fundamental understanding of that particular you know complex that you're about to be buying into um and sometimes it even goes to perhaps talking to security i mean i i like for example having a chat with security when i'm about to view some of the properties or afterwards because you just get a sense about the way a place is run when you speak to people who are essentially there for very long periods of time and are working there they're able to give you insight that an agent who's only there to bring people in typically doesn't have that's correct. And uh, Zama, what we found, uh, particularly, you know, where there's a high ratio of owner-occupiers, there's more demand from the, the rental side. You'll find tenants actually want to be placed in those type of complexes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it does have its interest. And that's such an interesting one. You know, so Craig, I mean, we're talking then about looking at uh, these different factors and you've outlined them so well. Are factors different um, or should we be looking at uh, what we intend to do with a particular property. So for example, if you're buying to let or you're buying to flip or um, you're buying to perhaps potentially sell it in a short period of time, are the factors going to be different even in those scenarios? Yeah, so uh, what you need to take into account is, you know, if you're buying to let, for example, always know the body corporate uh, rules because sometimes there may be a difference uh, between a tenant in the rules compared to an occupier especially when it comes to pets. Um, you know, there may be different rules in that aspect. If you're doing, for example, a bed and breakfast in investment, you know, you need to make sure that the rights are in place uh, for a bed and breakfast in the, in the area. If you're looking at renovations for flipping, be very aware of your height restrictions and uh, uh, potential restrictions on the building site from a servitude perspective. Um, you know, so there's all those factors that you need to take into account in the various investments. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Craig, if I reflect a little bit about some of the viewers at home who tune into the podcast quite regularly, they always want to almost, you know, figure out how should we be thinking through, especially that first or that second investment property that's going to make sure that you're able to properly scale your portfolio? Because I think, you know, getting those first few properties certainly in my experience is not particularly hard, um, especially if you're working and you've got a payslip, you'll be able to qualify for the home loan. Uh, banks are issuing, you know, 100% home loans. So that part I find is not the most complicated aspect of, you know, starting off your property portfolio. But more often than not, people tend to reach a glass ceiling, uh, usually around four or five properties. Um, typically slightly less. I think it's actually three or four. That's when they reach the glass ceiling. And that's also when they realize that they can't just use, you know, their own financials uh, in order to grow the portfolio. How should we be thinking about best structuring our property portfolios uh, that's going to make it easier for us to scale uh, the portfolio in the event where we perhaps have ambitions of reaching 10 properties? Uh, well, I mean, it, it really depends on, uh, you know, the scale that you want to grow to. So, look, if, if you're looking at uh, 
building a, a rental empire, then I would uh, highly recommend that you start structuring it within a PTY limited. But that also affects in the, the, the borrowing criteria. So it really depends how much borrowings you actually want to use to build the, the portfolio at the end of the day. But if you have they've got a lot of properties in place, highly recommend putting it under a, a PDY limited structure. If you're doing three or four properties, you can put it in your personal name and run it. I think a lot of people hit the ceiling as well is, is it does take time. And it's, it's not something that, you, as you say, it, it, it takes time to deal with the properties, deal with the tenants, make sure everything's running smoothly. It's an asset that you can't just leave alone. It does require um, attention. So often when people get to three or four properties, they say, okay, that's enough for my investment portfolio. Then they start looking um, elsewhere. But if you're looking at really building a big portfolio, then uh, the company is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And we are, of course, taking a question. If you're an aspiring property investor, or you're really investing in property, we're looking at choosing the perfect investment property. Especially right now, I think a lot of people very, may very well want to take advantage of the historically low interest rates. You probably run your numbers uh, quite well and you're certain that uh, you know you'll be able to get the right yield for the properties that you're eyeing. If there are any questions when it comes to making sure that you choose that right uh, investment property then do send them through and we will be looking at them shortly. Now Craig I simply want to you know have a conversation a little bit about when we look at then buyers who are looking at homes that need a little bit of TLC, and we're very likely going to be seeing that. I think different kinds of property are going into the market right now. We're seeing quite a lot of stock, I think on a daily basis, there are so many properties going onto the market and some are going to need more TLC than others. Cause I think there's also those properties where, you know, landlords have probably owned that particular property for whatever period of time. And, but they were not the most active and hands-on landlord. And so, you know, over the years, over the months, the properties are a bit run down and they're now looking at essentially needing to do work on the property. You know, any tips to share with viewers at home who are looking at properties that need a little bit of TLC and they're probably going for them because they know that they'll be able to push down the price just slightly lower. Yeah, well, some of the, you know, there where you're looking at renovations, uh, very importantly is to look at the, the pricing trends within the, uh, the suburb. Because the last thing that you want to do is overcapitalize on your renovations. So have a look at the finishes that you put in. Don't overspend for the, the area that you've bought into. So you need to do your sums carefully. Um, always when you're renovating, use a NHBRC um, uh, team um, and use a tried and tested team. Because um, often if you try and uh, skimp on the renovation up front, it costs you more at the end of the day. So rather use a professional team in place. If you're doing uh, even more extensive renovations, get an architect involved. Make sure that you've got um, approved plans um, for the renovation at the end of the day. Because that's going to come in future with that uh, approved plans will form part of the, the transfer process. So, you know, you need to get all of that in, uh, in place rather up front. I actually like what you just mentioned that oftentimes, and we've seen it before, um, even with the different guests that we've spoken to who have given this particular hint that you may want to save money, but sometimes the few rands that you may be able to save in the beginning, you end up paying for them later on. So even when you go about choosing the right contractor, um, I think we we're even talking about this yesterday, that the cheapest contractor isn't necessarily the best contractor uh, that is out there. So you may be able to shave off, let's say 20,000 
um, you know, on the particular renovation, but find that it's actually cost you 120,000. So I think one of the, the, and that's one of the difficult things, right, Craig, with running your numbers properly, because you would think, uh, or, or your instinct is to immediately just go to the cheapest person and be like, listen, I'm gonna save X amount of rands, but you almost want to think about what is this 20,000 rand save potentially costing me? Um, yeah, especially if, yeah, especially if uh, their credentials are, are not, you know, uh, as great as they probably should be when they perhaps not um, NHBRC uh, registered. So the moment you start going through almost that laundry list of things that could go wrong, you begin to realize that that you know, 20,000 rands is actually costing you substantially more money. Well, Craig, I want us to go for a quick break. When we come back, we'll be taking any questions and comments from viewers at home, but also exploring the other factors that we need to be looking at uh, right now, especially as we look at growing our you know, investment, uh, our property portfolios. And this is something that I'm also finding uh, is an interesting exercise because I'm also looking at the different ways to scale my own portfolio uh, in terms of where it is and putting in place the right systems that will enable me to do so. We're going to go for a quick break and we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantungwa Kumalo. If you've just joined us, you've missed a very great first uh, quarter of our conversation, or first half, rather, of our conversation. Uh, of course, you can always go back to make sure that you catch up on some of the great content that we have brought you, not just on this episode, of course, but on all our old episodes. All you have to do is make sure that you, whether, whether you've subscribed to our page on YouTube or, of course, have liked our page on Facebook. That's where you can get some of our great content that we always bring you. And in addition to the Private Property Podcast, where we bring you a daily dose of all things relating to property, we also have a weekly uh, first-time home buyers show that comes to your screens every Wednesday at 7.45. That's, of course, for all the aspiring new home buyers. If you want to hear some of the stories of some of the you know, various people who've bought their home for the first time, some of the challenges that they, were, that they had, and also how they overcame some of them, then that certainly is the show for you. And if you've got green fingers, then Mbali's got you every Tuesdays and Thursdays at one o'clock, we bring you the, the farming podcast, which is of course relating to all things agriculture. Doesn't matter what scale you're looking at, but that certainly is a great starting point to learn as much as you can about agriculture. And we never leave you alone over the weekend. Yes, we never do. And of course you can catch your weekly dose of the developer show every Saturday and Sunday at one o'clock with, um, with Chad 
And that's also another great show where we profile some of the best estates that the country has on offer. Well, to get back to our conversation this evening, we are exploring choosing the perfect investment property with England and Focus. And I'm joined by the CEO of Southern Africa um, at, at England and Focus Southern Africa, and that's Craig Hutchison. Uh, and Craig, you know, before the break, I did say we wanted, I wanted us to take certain questions and comments from our viewers. I see we've got a comment from one of our regular viewers uh, on Facebook, Umata Shingange, who says, company structure is being confirmed by various ex experts. Uh, it is the way to go seemingly. And we've also got a question here from Facebook. It's coming from Uzozo Masuku, who asks, what's the difference between putting properties under a trust or a company? I know okay. that's a whole episode, you know, almost all together. So almost high level, the difference between the two, because I know that conversation is not a quick one minute response. Yeah, no, 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 that isn't. Um, and you know, your trusts are more geared towards your estate uh, planning at the at the end of the day. So, look, if, if you're looking at running a a portfolio, I would highly recommend a, a company and the and the properties to go in the company. You know, if you want to do estate planning, you can always put a trust on top of the company uh, for estate planning purposes. So, yeah. I, I would still maintain rather keep the, the the properties in the company rather than a than a trust. I'm, I'm sure there may be other professionals that disagree with me, but that's the easiest uh, process. You, you know, Craig, you'd be surprised. Uh, often, a lot of guests that we've actually had on also advise that you know the 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 ownership of the respective properties should be in a PTY um, LTD. And if you want to have a trust in, then the 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 trust can own shares of the companies. Uh, but they don't have direct ownership of the properties. That's actually a very tax efficient way, uh, making sure that your you know, assets are well protected um, and also making sure that you don't incur the kinds of taxes that one would incur in a trust. Because I think the moment you put uh, investment properties as opposed to your primary residence, you do tend to you know, um, get quite a lot of tax in your with your investment properties. This is something that we have explored. We'll also look at um, having it again so, so for you know for the purposes of viewers at home who still are quite uncertain about you know whether you should be putting your assets particularly of course your properties in a trust or using a company structure as an entity that uh, owns them we'll look at the pros and cons of doing either one um, and I promise that's an episode that we will do in future now Craig I think one of the other uh, you know things that tends to then come up with a property is it's and we spoke on the one hand earlier on around you know factors that make a good investment property so in essence those were the green flags perhaps what are the red flags uh, that we should also be mindful of um, when we start viewing a property that if you see a certain number of these you should probably walk in the opposite direction instead of you know trying to push and get that particular property sure yeah, um, from a red flag uh, perspective, I think we must bear in mind that this is, it's a it's a very expensive investment uh, that people are making when they buy property. So number one, you must take the, the make sure that you've got the time to investigate the property uh, correctly. So red flags for me would be if the owner doesn't allow a home inspector to come in and uh, look at the house from a structural perspective. Um, you know, a newly painted house, for example, might just be the seller sprucing it up for sale. But it could also be to, to hide damp, for example. Um, so always have a good look around that. 
have a look at strategically placed furniture in the proper in the property as well, making sure it's not hiding any any potential uh, defects on that side. But I think you know most importantly, when you're spending the money, rather spend money up front than rather pay the cost later. So you know, for a, a home inspector going and looking at the structural uh, soundness of the property as well as the roofing, I, I think is a, is essential as a, from an investment uh, perspective. Rather go spend that money up front and have that peace of mind and take those red flags out of the equation. You know, when you're looking at strategically placed furniture, I, you know, I, I was chuckling in the background because I've seen quite a number of those. One of the, the things that I tend to do, and this is probably a pro tip to viewers at home, is often when I go to, especially if it's a building or complexes, so it's not a standalone house, I would typically ask where the geezer is. So when I'm in the kitchen, I'll ask physically, like, where is the geezer situated? Because you tend to find that uh, sometimes the area close to where the geezer is, they've, you know, placed things so that you can't quite see what's happening. Um, we all know that geezers burst and ca causes quite a lot of damage. Um, but unfortunately, not everybody attends to the damage uh, timelessly so that it doesn't have long lasting um, you know, effects in the area and the surrounds. So asking just that one question, where's the Giza? And when people don't know where the Giza is, a part of me gets slightly startled with, okay, how do you not physically know where a Giza is? Uh, but usually when once I've seen where the Giza is, that's also where you sometimes see the mold, then you can ask them when did you know the Giza burst, they'll tell you, and then you start getting the conversation started. Uh, and I think probably one of the ways to also spot the red flags is asking the tenants who are there because the reality right now is we're also going to be buying properties from you know investors who are maybe offloading whether it's for cash flow purposes or because they want to buy um other assets asking the tenants that are in place what do they not like about the property they give such great insight they'll be able to tell you um some things that are you know you're not going to find certainly from the estate agent and very likely because the estate agent wouldn't know they don't live there. Um, so understanding little things like that uh, becomes so important when you're looking at that property investment journey. Because as, as Craig said, it, it's such an, an, an expensive investment um, that we sometimes don't think about it because you think, well, going to secure bank finance, but it is still quite an expensive um, investment to look at regardless. Now. I, I, we are, of course, taking your questions and comments at home. And I see we've got another one on Facebook from Colin Lee Collins, who asks, any advice on the following? Will it be best to buy a flat in a building to rent out or a residential home? So flat well, versus stand, standalone home. Well, they, 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 what you must have a look at, and it's always good to use a professional area specialist agent uh, that will be able to guide you on what the demand is. Because uh, don't forget, you want to do the exercise on what the demand, what are tenants looking for in the area. Um, you know, a standalone home is more than likely going to require more maintenance than a flat, for example. And it's going to be a different uh, tenant makeup. So it, it's really your appetite for, for risk of the tenant that you're going to have involved and what that return is, that, that risk to return ratio is. But if you want to ease of use, the flat is most probably the... Uh, the easiest to maintain, whereas a standalone home is going to be a lot more maintenance. Mm. And it certainly is. I mean, I, I, I don't maintenance issues. You can already say I'm even tongue-tied because I've I tend to get so many headaches when I think about it. 
Um, and I think maintenance on both sides, you tend to typically find that there'll be things that um, even in a flat, you still need to attend to as the landlord and your tenant will let you know in the event where you know something happens. So something like the, the geezer bursting, your tenant will notify you that this has happened and you still need to deal with them uh, or you still need to deal with it. So in the event where it's a building, uh, let's say it's a sectional title, you know that you know that's going to be covered by insurance. But certainly the moment it's a standalone home, you're all by yourself, that cost falls on you, which is part of why it's so important, regardless of the type of property you have to have that emergency fund as a property investor, because anything can happen in your property. As much as you'll have insurance and certain things will be covered by you know, insurance, you yourself also need that emergency fund uh, in the event that something happens that may need to be maintained. Um, now, Craig, before I let you go and before we wrap up, you know, what's probably the the one thing we should not compromise on because i think you know different things we're probably able to you know be negotiable and and bendable but is there a thing that when we're looking at buying an investment property we should never compromise on uh, regardless of what the circumstances are yeah now what you mustn't compromise on is find a professional agent that is a area specialist that can give you the right advice of what the demand is for the for the properties, what tenants are available, um, what the the um, pricing uh, trends are within the suburb, and when you start asking those questions, you'll soon find out if it is an area specialist or not. So if you're dealing with a specialist, you'll go a long way down the road of finding that right investment property. Um, the other is always do a home inspection. Uh, make sure that the building is structurally sound, that the roofing is is correct. Once again, you know, look at your finishes, make sure they're durable, make sure they're low maintenance. And uh, location is critical. And it's not location for area as well. It's also location of the unit within a complex. You know, is it a ground floor unit? Is it a, against the perimeter? It's all those considerations to take into account. Mm. And a professional That's agent will be able to guide you on that. Yeah. And, you know, Craig, as you were saying, location, not just location in terms of the area, but where a unit is, I actually, again, I was just saying, oh, my word, that's something that hasn't actually been mentioned here, because this is one of those things. If, for example, you're, you know, buying an investment property, let's say in the northern uh, suburbs of Joburg, and you're looking to attract a certain type of tenant who's probably a professional, they want to be able to, you know, have home as their escape you're probably not looking at a unit that is, let's say, ground floor closest to where, where there's heavy foot traffic. Uh, so you're probably looking at something that's slightly uh, more secluded and even their garden area isn't overlooking the whole parking lot. So they have very little privacy. So even being able to just think through what kind of tenant will be living here and is this the kind of place that that tenant um, is going to want to not only live in, but also pay this kind of amount for is such an important, you know, consideration for us to yeah. think about. Well, a, a good, a good test is when you walk into the place. You need to ask yourself: If I was the tenant walking in, would I pay the amount that I'm going to be asking? And do I like this unit? And would I live here myself? So yeah. that's always a good question to to ask yourself when deciding. Yeah. Well, Craig, we are going to leave it there this evening. Thank you so much for sharing those insightful tips for our viewers at home. Thanks very much, Sarah.
And that is Craig uh, Hutchison, who is the CEO of Southern Africa, um, Engel and Focus Southern Africa. And of course, we're looking at choosing the perfect investment property with Engel and Focus. And I certainly do hope that if you're about to walk that investment journey and you're about to buy, whether your second or third investment property, you're able to use some of these insights. And of course, you're able to also reach out to Engel and Focus, who've got a very great estate agents that you can reach out to uh, if the you, you know if you're looking, of course, at buying that property as we, as Craig has mentioned you want to work with the right area specialist and be able to ask them a variety of questions and you want to make sure that uh, they really are knowledgeable about the area that you are interested in so do make sure that you always use uh, or always work with the right professional team when you're looking at buying your investment property. Well, that's it from me, Zamantu Kumalo, and the rest of the Private Property Podcast team. We're going to be back on your screen tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Until then, hope you're staying home and staying safe. suburbs of Berea and Morningside are built on a natural ridge that overlooks the home of the Sharks, the Moses Mabida Stadium, uh, Durban Country Club. It's just got an incredible outlook elevated over the city. Living in Morningside makes so much sense to us because everything is so central. Anything that we choose to do is a couple of kilometers away or a couple of hundred meters away. Restaurants, coffee shops, it's all here on our doorstep. You know, we've got uh, great schools here. Uh, the girls' schools just close by are Maristella and Durban Girls College. And then fantastic boys' schools, uh, Durban Preparatory High School, DPHS, one of the top primary schools in the country, and then Clifton, which now goes all the way to high school. It's so convenient to be in this area where everything is close by.
Some of our closest friends stay just across the Amgheni River in Durban North. Durban North is very family orientated with some great schools, some excellent restaurants and some small commercial centres. The promenade along Durban's beachfront, also known as the Golden Mile, got an incredible facelift for the 2010 World Cup and today is used by all of Durban's population. We as a family love the Durban beachfront. If we're not in the water, you'll find us on our bicycles along the promenade. Being a world paddleboard champion, I've traveled to some of the most amazing beaches around the world, but nothing comes close to what we have here in Durban. Durban has great weather and great conditions all year round for surfing and for training and just being in the ocean. And that's why it's known as the warmest place to be. We've lived here our whole lives and there's no place we'd rather be, and this is our neighborhood.